welcome to the Property Portfolio Podcast with Mark Stokes and Nigel Green. Every week we inspire and guide you towards success in the world of property development, mentorship and fundraising. Before we jump into today's episode, a reminder to join us at equacademy.co.uk where you can gain free access to hundreds of videos and templates to help you on your property development journey. Morning, Nigel. Good morning, Mark. How are you? You all right? Very well, thank you. Very well. It's getting a bit fresh these days, isn't it? So uh, a <laughs> lovely fresh morning here in Surrey. It is, absolutely. I was out uh, early doors moving cars around. We've got uh, a bit of work being done on the house at the moment, so it's uh, just moving around. I think seven or eight tonne of stone is arriving today, <laughs> so <laughs> we thought we'd kind of move the cars out of the way, if you know what I mean. That's quite just you know working on all the assets that we've got, just that continual fine tuning. It's just so important, isn't it? Yeah, it is absolutely. How's the week been? Week's been really well. We've um, as we do every year just before Christmas, we always you know take that stock, don't we? The tax position, our efficiency, progress. Where are we? Our tax years are at the end of end of March, and uh, well, a bit staggered actually, aren't they, for for various reasons? But um, yeah, it just gives us that chance to reflect and yeah. anticipate, forecast where likely corporation tax are going, uh, positions are going to be. So yeah, we've had quite quite a busy period, haven't we? Very productive. We we, we definitely have, you know, and, and um, you know, in terms of a bit of learning, I mean. Personally, I mean, I know the rights or the wrongs, but you know we're coming up to that that infamous self-assessment time, aren't we? Um, at the moment, and uh, I'm, I don't know about anybody else, but um, I, I'm a little bit lax in that area sometimes, and I tend to use the period between Christmas and New Year <laughs> to scrabble together all the numbers to submit to the uh, the somewhat <laughs> fraught accountant in early January to to get the self-assessment in, and I've kind of done it every year, and. Um, this year, it's been slightly different um, in that, you know, other parts of our business, we're, we're refinancing to hold. So we're more into the regulated mortgage market arena. And, um, of course, self-assessments came into that story, didn't it? And, you know, and if, if we think, you know, the 5th of October and wind back, you know, FY19 and 20, that would make potentially a tax return over 18 months old, which we learned this week, you know, doesn't comply with um, applications. You know, you have to have something within 18 months, which again was really interesting to hear. So we've um, we've cracked on, haven't we, and, and got the uh, self-assessments in and got it all sorted. So that's that was really, really good. But big tick in the box feels great uh, for once <laughs> to do them early. So that, there we go. So that's all sorted. So we, we really pride ourselves in being very open and transparent with you guys talking about you know relevant issues. And, and that's the first golden nugget for you. Uh, many of you won't be aware of maybe what Nigel has just said. But to summarise, you know, these rules that came in, in uh, or code of conduct that came in, in in October, you know, if you're looking for, for funding through companies, um, the funders are going to be looking for your tax calculations and tax assessments to, to be filed within you know, the, the, the prior year. So they're looking for 1920 tax returns uh, now. Otherwise, they won't be proceeding. And uh, made it very clear to us, Nigel, haven't they, that they will cease yep. work on applications 
if tax returns aren't in for 1920 uh, by the end of uh, I can't remember the end of November or uh, end of this week. But mm. Uh, mm. so um, absolutely. Yeah. So we can either we can either slate the banks and say, oh, you know, why? Or you can actually say, well, actually, I'm really grateful, really grateful for uh, you know the glass is half full. Mm, absolutely. But I, I think, you know, even more positively, you know, that that kicked the mindset, didn't it, over the last couple of weeks into kind of re- reviewing, you know, efficiency and and all that subject uh, per se. And, um, you know, we, we've had a good, you know, between us, Mark, we've had a good review of our family income strategy, you know, that that careful split between, you know, salary and dividend and, and all that sort of thing, which has been quite liberating and, you know, more efficiency has been generated, which is great. Um, We've also introduced, and I don't know whether anybody out there is doing this at the moment, but worth a look, the the cycle to work scheme as well, if if you qualify. Um, But that's a really interesting one. I mean, um, certainly during lockdown, Mark, you know, I mean, I think bike sales went through the roof, didn't they? Mm, Um, we, We didn't go then, but we've, you know, more recently, you know, we see it as a kind of a lifestyle choice to be able to get out every day and do a few miles and that sort of thing. And we were just about to plough in, you know, the hard-earned cash after tax uh, to go and buy the bikes and just a, you know, a considerate conversation with our accountant. He said, well, have you thought about this? And really interesting. So we've we've uh, joined the uh, Cycle to Work scheme. And um, uh, as a result of that, purchased a couple of, <laughs> couple of bikes, which has been great. And and the way that it, they're they're uh, basically paid is via salary sacrifice. So your gross salary, the, you then take the proportion of the contribution to the scheme off it, um, and, and therefore you're paying it gross rather than net. So you haven't you haven't paid your tax, and what's left you're paying for your bike. It's it's at the top level. <clears throat> so therefore reducing, you know, um, theoretical tax and national insurance, you know, which is which is fantastic. So we so to do, wasn't it? It was, it was, you know, and it started with the bike, didn't it, as well, in both our cases. And then understanding of, of that that bike shop, you know, what what schemes that they they supported and then just went went off and did the applications and away you go. So that was quite exciting. <laughs> that was quite exciting. I must admit, three or four weeks ago, you know, if we could have cast the net forward, I don't think we would have seen that one coming, but, uh, oh, but there we go. A common trait here, and, and that's... Uh, I mean, we're quite well renowned for, for the work we've done with our SAS pension. All yep. these things are relevant. Uh, I think one of the common skills here um, that we can all uh, refine is is challenging tradition. Just because it's always been done like that, challenge it. You know, you're buying a bike. Well, that's, as Nigel said, that's after-tax money. Yeah, That's how you buy a bike. Well, no, it isn't. Let's have a look at a different way. How much... You know, of our family expense can we put into a company environment where it becomes pre-tax? You know, we've done that with uh, with phones. You know, we mm. we don't get paid much salary necessarily. It's tax efficient and goes through dividends or pension contributions. It's yeah, yeah. different ways, isn't it? And uh, the electric thing keeps coming up time and time again. There's another thing on the horizon, isn't there? We're starting to uh, scratch that itch at the moment, aren't we, as well? So it's um, kind of working through, you know, electric cars and the efficiency of that. You know, the reduction of corporation tax, um, obviously zero percent, sorry, zero pounds company car tax. Um, 
you know, road, road taxes zero, pot- potentially, Mark, uh, proportion VAT recoverable as well, you know, in terms of uh, the various bits and bobs. And, you know, just just totally lowering those costs, which is which is fantastic, you know. And and if you're, you know, you're buying fossil fuel, et cetera, um, versus electric, you know, there's a saving there as well. So so really, it's, it's funny how, you know, a, a kind of a prompt to get our self-assessment <laughs> in has triggered this way of thinking. And, you know, I think we should, and we've kind of set in, in our diaries, haven't we? Every Friday, we're going to reflect on this stuff, you know, to make sure that, you know, irrespective of what we're doing, <laughs> kind of Monday to Friday, we're just having a moment in time to to reflect on efficiency. Because I think we uh, we appreciate it's easier to save money than make it. Um, so, you know, we're just looking at, you know, ways of becoming very efficient and, you know, looking forward to sharing all these, the, the in-depth part of this within our mentorship group as well. Definitely. I mean, we, we, we love property and what it stands for, but, you know, property is a vehicle to, to give us what we want, isn't it? And we've got this double stacking of vehicles. We've got property as a vehicle, and then we've got either LLPs or limited companies that we 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 use to shelter them structure them within and uh, and that's uh, that's where we were last last week you know we 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 spent a lot of time in last week's webinar talking about deal structuring didn't we we did yep. talked about creating shared value um and there's no point in creating all that value if you're not looking after it and and as nigel said you know it's a lot easier to uh, save money than it is to earn that money and uh, yeah, that's uh, certainly a skill not not refined for many in in corporate life. That's for sure. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the structures shared to date over the last couple of weeks, you know, are, are typical structures. Um, they worked for the deals that maybe we've looked at, let's say. Um, but it, it is really important just to say, I think, Mark, that you know, it's very case by case. Um, everything's circumstantial, and you know, the structures may have to change slightly. So, although we're, you know, we're sharing kind of part of the art of the possible um, just to give you some inspiration and thought but it's really important once you get that that deal um, you know you've locked it in you know just to pull in all the professional services or your professional team you know to create that that, that structure that works for all parties um, you know because w- what might work for one may not work for another so it's, it's really understanding that uh, it works for everybody so definitely well We've gone straight into it. Lots of golden nuggets for you already um, on this morning's um, uh, breakfast webinar. So a warm welcome to to everybody. Just scrolling through. I mean, there's far too many to uh, to, to mention, but uh, lots of our our usual uh, viewers and listeners. So um, I know you're probably eager to get stuck into uh, part two of, of deal structuring. Um, and business structuring. So that was particularly relevant there, the tax efficiency side of things, shareholding, structuring, how you then distribute dividends, salary, uh, expenses, and uh, some of those tax efficient strategies. So uh, we'll keep you updated, as Nigel said, in the weeks ahead on some of those other leading initiatives that we're looking at. And uh, and capital allowances is one of those things that we're, you know, every week we're looking at that, and that helps us look at which asset class we're we're targeting for future acquisitions, and we're hot on the trail of more of those as well, Nigel. Certainly, are. yeah. Good. Okay, so um, 
we don't often have a few slides, but we didn't finish um, the slides from last week, so a bit of a bit of a bonus as we close out 2020. So uh, some slides for you. Um, had a very interesting question last week about sustainability. We were talking about creating shared value, and I touched on uh, ESG. Um, now this is a, an image here from our uh, corporate brochure, Equigroup's Groups corporate. corporate corporate brochure. Uh, ESG stands for Environmental, Social and Governance. And this is adopted by the United Nations and the European Investment Bank. It's something that we hold very dear to us. Um, let me just explain um, what it is and then its particular relevance possibly to you in property or as an investor. So ESG stands for Environment or Environmental, Governance and Social. So from an environmental perspective, it will focus and this enables our business in a co coordinated way to focus on climate stability, you know, addressing climate change, uh, uh, preservation uh, of natural resources and minimising the impact on, on uh, the natural resources of the planet, uh, strategic waste management and also continuous innovation and change. The social aspect is looking at human capital management, you know, the intellectual property that we have, how we engage and the power of our teams and expertise. Um, diversity, you know, diversification, you know, it's life's rich tapestry and we really value that. Both Nigel and I have been at the forefront of that in, in corporate life in, you know, many countries that we've worked in. So diversification is really important and the, the diversity uh, of our team. Um, the value chain, the you know engaging our supply chain, the value chain, and and addressing, understanding, and embracing the value that they bring, and then also the uh, the impact to society, uh, understanding the needs, what needs to be addressed, and um, we are planning to do uh, one of our breakfast webinars where we're going to be giving you a deep dive into the uh, social impact business um, that we have Cornerstone Place, which is really addressing the needs of, of homelessness and, uh, uh, and dependency groups, um, how we can bring you know, funding to bear with commercial property. And, and that's, uh, that's absolutely phenomenal. So, so society is the last part of that one. And then governance, so looking at transparency, making sure we've got anti-bribery and corruption, anti-money laundering aspects there, making sure we've got robust and exquisite uh, corporate governance, which is beyond reproach, and uh, a key and core risk management culture. So all these aspects of ESG, they're particularly relevant. You've got um, the likes of Goldman's um, are really ap approaching ESG. It's it's the additional slice of due diligence that um, uh, long-term investors are now looking for. In fact, if you haven't got this mix of environmental, social and governance embedded in your business, then potentially your sustainability is going to be questioned. Um, and if you've not got that uh, that in investment um, uh, uh, box ticked with with your investors who are convinced that your business is sustainable, then you know you're going to be struggling there. And we probably think of investors from a private investor perspective, but we are seeing with the likes of the UN and the European investment banks, uh, we are seeing this from a banking perspective. And we've just got a term sheet for a 25-year long-term hold facility. 
from one of our funding partners just arrived last night, Nigel, didn't it? Um, yeah. And these these fu- these funders are now looking at, you know, it's a quarter of a century ahead. Mm. You know, I've got another facility of, of, of 15 years. You know, this is long-term horizons. So looking at the the uh, the UK climate um, transition, looking at the 10 key points that came out uh, only yesterday on the, the green strategic uh, transitional plan, whether that be carbon capture and storage right the way through to, you know, moving away from the, the mine and burn fossil fuel economy. Um, you know, they want to see leadership in all of these core areas. So hopefully that's um, uh, an insightful view of how, we in EQUA look at environmental, social and governance. It's that classic walk a mile in, in another party's shoes, whether you're walking from the bank's perspective, society, the receiver of our product, whether it be a, uh, we're selling the product or whether we are um, you know, renting the product, uh, how we're going to fund the product, um, making sure it's a viable investment proposition for the banks and, uh, and investors. Really key. It it is, isn't it? And you know, we're seeing it more and more with the local authorities implementing a number of um, you know activities, um, you know, around planning permission. Let's say, you know, we're seeing electric charging points coming in. We're seeing solar, you know, solar panels, photovoltaic panels, you know, air source heat pumps um, going in, triple glazing. Yeah, you can just see how all of these these elements are being you know forced into. Uh, for the right reasons, absolutely, you know, into what we're doing on a day-to-day basis. So, really, you know, it's really, um, really prominent at the moment, definitely. Definitely. And and we've, we, we've got a lot of interest in the commercial property sector as well, whether we're converting to residential or long-term hold of commercial. Um, so we've also got long-term leases as well. You know, think of the, uh, uh, the strategy of your, of your tenants. Um, you know, they're looking for you know, great accommodation, great quality, but also a landlord that's got a, you know, a strong pedigree in this area that will help them you know, raise their profile, ultimately incle- increase their transitional covenant strength, reduce their costs and, uh, and, uh, and ensure their, their green credentials are, are heightened and puts them on the best footprint. So, Bit of bit of food for thought there. I put a section specifically on uh, on this in the commercial to residential conversion book um, from a couple of years ago. Um, we're also seeing in some areas where uh, landlords, you know, the the freeholder is rather than looking at a, a consumption economy, they're looking at a, more of an output based economy. So imagine a a freeholder. Uh, consumes electricity through the the tenants, but could they, as an investment proposition, could they install um, uh, solar panels, for instance, and become uh, a net energy generator rather than a net energy consumer? Um, Is that an additional business model that they could create? Um, So all these different thoughts, it may may be right for you, it may not be right for you, but just that out-of-the-box thinking, again, we're talking about challenging tradition, Nigel. Back to that point again, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, and do and do explore. You know, whatever you're looking at, if it's your own home, if it's um, you know a development, a land deal, whatever it is, just explore with the local authorities. You know, in terms of maybe grants that are available to support. So these things don't necessarily have to 
have an impact on costs. You know, they could well be supported, and there's a pot there to to tap into to you know make the uh, the overall solution a lot better for everybody. Yeah, yeah. We mentioned capital allowances earlier on. Will they come in different forms? Um, could be land and remediation. It could yeah. be uh, enhanced capital allowances. Yeah. Um, so again, really vibrant subject. I'm getting really deep here into uh, really analysing. You know, tax efficiency being a business that is a, a dynamic force for good. Okay, so that's got environmental, social governance. We're going to have that session early in the new year on societal impact uh, and we'll keep sustainability as a a pretty consistent theme here. Um, And of course, we will keep you up to date on our quest for uh, a nice pair of electric cars for Nigel and Mark. I might end up being electric scooters. Good stuff. Okay, so moving on to um, an investment model. Um, We talked about structuring and a number of you have asked, well, what type of structures have you seen used and can you give us an example? So there was we had some great feedback on the slides last week. So here's uh, another slide and we'll take a a little bit of a canter through this. Um, We're only limited on it to a certain amount of time that we can spend on it. But we will talk about how one investment model here on a profit share. Okay, this is a profit share model. So in the center of the screen, and for those of you listening on on podcast, um, we've got an SPV. SPV stands for a special purpose vehicle. So that's typically a limited company set up a specific purpose of, of a singular development. And we find it really helpful to keep things simple. We call this like the spider diagram, if you like. It's the structure, but a picture speaks a thousand words. It's so easy to then communicate this to all stakeholders, your broker, your funder, uh, the uh, any second charge funder, if, if you're having that, um, private investors. Um, so, you know, it has multiple purposes. So we have an SPV, so limited company, set up a company's house. You can do that yourself or you can get your accountant or a company secretarial team to, to set that up. And that will have a board of directors. So we're at the bottom of the page here, board of directors made up of uh, a number of ex-directors. In this case, I've said four and uh, also a Y shareholder representative. So we've got a structure here where we're going to assume just as a working example here, that it's a 50-50 joint venture. Fairly fairly popular. Um, we've got uh, 50% X shareholders. That would be the developer. And then 50% uh, Y shareholders, which is the investor or investors. Um, quite often we see a number of investors uh, investing in, in the scheme. It doesn't necessarily make it a collective investment scheme. Um, so we need to be uh, making sure we're very clear and, and compliant to, to FCA uh, 13.3 in particular. So these are sophisticated investors, high net worth individuals, normally self-certified. Uh, in some cases, professional investors as well. They can be individuals, they can be limited company. Uh, quite often they're, they're SAS trustees uh, as well. And very, very occasionally they're LLPs in our experience as well. So we have the shareholding structure there, the X shares and the Y shares. 
they would be wedded into the development through a, a shareholder agreement. And I'm asked so often, uh, as indeed are you, Nigel, um, for, you know, can we have a copy of a shareholder's agreement? Can we have a draft? The, the way we do it every single time is, is we'll put a structure together like this. Quite simple when you know how to do it. Uh, and our mentees, are, we train them how to, how to do this. But the shareholder agreement will actually start with a blank sheet of paper. Start with a blank sheet of paper. Look at what we're trying to achieve. And we will always get a solicitor um, to produce the shareholders agreement. It's the right thing to do. Um, it keeps uh, that prob probity and transparency and good quality governance in place there. But the, the solicitors ultimately will need to understand um, what you want in the shareholders agreement and what you're trying to achieve. So we communicate that, start with a blank sheet of paper, sketch it out, put some key bullet points, have a conference call with the, uh, with the solicitor, uh, probably have a couple of drafts, and, uh, and then we've got a, a pretty robust shareholder agreement. Of course, if you're doing multiple developments, you can reuse the previous one and, and cross out and uh, mm. uh, you know, work up and, and evolve the model. Yeah. So, so that's a, a pretty good start in terms of getting your structure there. Probably worth, we'll, we'll come on to the percentages in a little while. If I move to the right-hand side, we've got to fund the development and the and this this uh, is is about the investment model and, and the structuring. So our uh, investment in this particular case could be covered in a number of ways. In this case, it's going to be a loan agreement, and we're going to be using external finance from two typical sources. One would be uh, from the bank, and um, so the bank will be putting in first charge lending. So first charge means a, a first charge on the asset. Um, which would be a first charge at land registry. Um, typically, the bank's security package would be covered by, by three uh, particular elements. One is a first charge at land registry. Uh, second would be a debenture on the company, which is a, a floating charge across all other assets. And as we've spoken about before, you know, an example of what all those other assets might include, bearing in mind it's a special purpose vehicle for one purpose, uh, a good example of other assets would be you know, cash in the SPV's bank account. Um, so uh, the, one of the reasons why they, they want a debenture is uh, is to cover things like that. But also, if they've got a debenture, then nobody else has. Um, so it's the, the bank's policy to make sure nobody is in front of them in the queue, nobody is beside them in the queue, and quite frankly, everybody is behind them in the queue. So we've got uh, two types of uh, funding. One is the bank finance, and the second would be uh, here, in this case, from private investors. Now, those private investors, um, it could be you. You could be putting money in. But as we, as we often say, you are not your company. You are not your company. You are a separate legal entity as an individual. So the money has to come into an SPV because it only got set up yesterday. The money has to come in from somewhere. So there's a real mindset shift here for many people. Um, you've got to look at where your money is coming from. It could come from you. It could come from one of your companies. 
Um, it could come from somebody else, one, somebody else's company, another uh, a pension, SAS pension. Could be from a number of different sources, but make sure that money comes in. So if Nigel and I were to do this development and we were to put our own money into the investment, we become private investors in our own deal. And we'd have a, a, a line coming in and a loan agreement in place and we'd structure it. We'd also be working with our accountants to make sure it's done in the most tax-efficient way and the returns are reflective of a, a you know, tax-efficient structure. So the private investment must be structured coming in. And in this particular case, there are many ways of structuring it. It would be a, a loan agreement. And if it was a profit share, um, one particular option here could be uh, the funds could come in and you're buying shares in the company. Another option would be the funds come in on a loan at 0% loan, 0% loan, and the returns would be a 50% share of the profits after corporation tax at the end of the development. Real difference there. You know, if the company goes bust, then the loan agreement puts a liability on the company. If you bought the shares, then you lose everything. Um, so just different ways of structuring it that will give different levels of assurance um, to your investors. So we, we're covering this uh, in quite some detail with our Equimentorship group at the moment, but that gives you a bit of a flavour of, of how to structure an investment model. Um, and, and a few considerations. Starting with the end in mind is, is just so crucial here. You know, we've, we've said here X directors, Y directors, 50-50. You know, decide where you want the control in your business. What if you got a board deadlock? What if you're 50-50 and your shareholders don't want to do something and you do? So do you want to make that 51-49? Some people do that. But if you're in the uh, spirit of creating shared value, will your uh, shareholders feel that that's appropriate? Um, there will always be reserved matters in any structure um, which should enable you as the developer to operate the, uh, the business plan unencumbered. Uh, yes, there'll be accountability, but you don't want to be running to the board each time and the shareholders, each time you've got to make a decision, you just stagnate and you mm. suffer from procrastination. So uh, you've got to be able to have the operating license to to run the development. Absolutely. You know, and, and the monthly board meetings are key, aren't they, Mark? And, you know, the X and Y directors would be present, um, would have to be to create chorus in the uh, in the meeting to enable it to happen for the decision making to be uh, undertaken. But I, th I think referring back to your sh the the loan agreement and the um, you know the kind of a joint venture that's being created here. You know, there's a couple of key key documents um, that are the points of reference. Um, I think one is uh, we, we certainly put in the Equidia, you know, so the kind of the starting point in terms of the financial projections um and dynamics and uh, and also the program so because obviously time and costs have a profound Im impact on return so so they're the two key documents they're the reference documents and we always refer back to that so as we're going through the board meetings um you know any 
any changes, any um, any decisions that are taken, it's always referred back to that point of reference. And therefore, you can track a journey. You can track a journey very transparently, very openly. And and also another thing that we we do, which we find um, is is very useful. Um, you know, in some cases, you may have one shareholder. Um, you may have. 50 shareholders, you know, it just depends on the structure and, and what it is going forward. But we, ju- we just produce a, a monthly report, sometimes quarterly, um, just as a shareholder update, just very high level, just just pitching off some photographs of the development, you know, and, and as Mark says, a, a picture speaks a thousand words. And, you know, we find that a very useful communication to, to everybody. And I think the worst case you could ever experience is when somebody says to you, oh, um, how's it going? You know, because that suggests they haven't been informed and and they're a little bit in the dark. So the more you can, you know, present, you know, monthly, quarterly, even half yearly, depending on the, obviously the size and length of the the project, um, you know, an update that comes from the board to the shareholders is a very useful tool and a good point, again, of reference. Definitely. Definitely. So just, Dipping into a bit of bit of Q and A here, so uh, let's have a look what time we got. Okay, so uh, so we've got Chris. Uh, hi, Chris. Hope you're well. Not seen you for a while. Um, do you think the government will implement their intent to make all rental properties uh, an EPCC rating in 2025? So lots of discussion on this and where the EPC ratings are going for rental properties. Uh, it was a conversation Nigel and I are having where we're doing a uh, a development in. Uh, in Surrey, which is linked to our pension, and there'll be uh, nine units that we're going to hold for a, a very long time. So uh, long-term rental is is really uh, of interest to us as well. So uh, I think all we can say is we're watching that like a hawk at the moment, yeah. um, not just in terms of the fabric of how we construct the buildings, but as we mentioned before, you know, are there any uh, are there any additional things that we can consider? You know, ground source uh, heat pumps, air source heat pumps, solar panels, uh, anything to increase the EPC rating. But equally, just bearing in mind the the compliance, but also the economic equation of, of those markets as, as well. So, yeah, it's, uh, we're just tracking these with our professional team on a very regular basis, Nigel, aren't we? We are, yeah, absolutely. And, it's you know, it's another example of ESG, isn't it, that we, we started with. You know, it's it's the way that... You know, government and local authorities are in imposing that environmental impact and, and efficiency, you know, on on all parties. So yeah, I can I can certainly see that that kind of coming in. Yeah. Um, hi Scott, hope you're well. Scott, one of our, our regular uh, tuners in uh, on our, our Wednesday sessions. So Scott asks uh, a, another great question. Um, within the investment model um, slide that we've just been through. Uh, would you or our business deal with the legals both from our side and the investor's side? Good question. Um, and I think you need to run your numbers. Run your numbers and look at what your economic equation is. Um, it really does depend. And I'll give you an example. Um, quite often we see there is a, a cost from SAS corporate trustees for a SAS to invest. And I'm just going to pick a number out of the blue. Don't really look too much into the number but let's say it's 250 pounds um well if you've if you're raising a million pounds and you have 10 sas trustees investing 
Yeah, that's 10 lots of, of 250 pounds. That's two and a half thousand pounds of, of fees. And then if you're giving your investors an open checkbook for each of them to take independent legal advice and, and check with solicitors, you know, at some stage it's got to be economically viable. If uh, you haven't got 10 investors putting in 100,000, let's say you've got 20 investing 50,000 each, all of a sudden your cost base has, has doubled because the 250 pounds is per investor, not per amount. So I just use that as a, a an example there. You must control your costs and you do need a backbone as a developer. You can't roll over on everything. Yes, you want to create the shared value and find the real win-win for everybody, um, but you must find the economic equation that works for you. And that's, remember those those key areas that we spoke about um, a few weeks ago, you know, to, to find your economic equation as a developer, it doesn't start with a bank or the investor. It starts with you. You know, why are you doing the development? What does great look like to you? And then you find your, your, your structure that has to be able to attract investors. It has to have the appeal. It has to be able to be fundable by the banks as well. So all these three things sit in concert. Um, but um, whether you pay the legal fees um, and all the costs for, uh, for investors, what works very well, uh, and we've used this quite a lot in the past, is quite often the investors don't know where to go for the legal advice anyway. So what you can say is, as a as a developer, we will pay for the legal advice using this third-party independent solicitor. So we'll pay, well, let's pick a number, we'll pay £1,000 and uh, the investors, whoever they are, the 5, 10, 15 investors who come on board, uh, they can use this independent uh, solicitor and uh, and we would pay ultimately pay the cost of, of that engagement, but they would need to uh, engage directly. So there's ways and means, Scott, but it, it's, it is a great question and there is no yes and no answer to these, uh, of course. It is. I think that one picks up uh, logistics as well, you know, in terms of if you can, it's, it's almost what the, the bank do, isn't it, to us, you know, they say, look, you know, valuation, you know, please pick one from our valuation panel, you know, and, and these sort of things. And and I think it's a it's a similar thing with the investors. If if you if it can be constructed in such a way that, you know, you have one solicitor representing all the investors. And yeah, granted we're paying for it, but I think in time uh, that would that would save a lot of time. You can imagine, you know, 10 investors, 10 different legal parties you know, all with, you know, all with different values, direction and, and objectives. And it could be a, a huge delay in time, you know, with all those parties. So just having one solicitor representing all, I think uh, we found has been very, very efficient to get to the end goal. Definitely. Yep. Good. Okay. So we'll carry on with some q and I'll just pop on the screen there, um, our mentorship program. Um, we're now taking the, the intake for January. So if you're looking for a fresh start in January, join our mentorship group and you know, lots of detail and you get that one-to-one -one bespoke time with, with Nigel and I on a very frequent basis. So there's a QR code there or a link. So book a call um, and uh, have a 30-minute have a chat. Uh, free of charge with myself, uh, and let's see if equimentorship is right for you. What have you got to lose? Um, 
So let's go on to another uh, another few questions here. Daryl asks a question on um, in in holding company structure. Do we get the family involved um, using uh, you know, children being shareholders for estate planning, IHT purposes? Uh, yeah, I mean it's quite a personal question, but um, we have been very open and transparent with you that all of our family members are shareholders, and that's uh, you know very tax efficient uh, for us. But it's also something else for us. You know, we, we want to engage members of the family. We want them to feel like they're involved. And we've seen before where investors may, may invest, you know, many, many miles, many hundreds of miles from where they live. And so it's very difficult for family members to relate to what you're doing because they'll never see the property, they'll never go there. That's something you do. And it becomes almost like another job where you know, mum or dad's gone out and doing stuff. So that's why we like to invest uh, locally. We like the family members to be engaged and part of this. Um, So, uh, yeah, it's really important. If you do have your kids as shareholders, just bear in mind that uh, uh, if they take any dividends and the like before the age of 16, uh, then that's going to come on the parents' tax code. Um, But uh, it's about knowing the rules, right? And uh, starting with the end in mind, and that, that's a great way. Yep. Um, let's have a look here. Charlie asks a question. In a 50-50 shareholding between developer and investor, is it possible to break decision deadlock using the shareholder agreement? If so, how? Uh, yes, Charlie, absolutely it is. But it depends what you've written in the shareholder agreement. And we call those reserved matters. Okay. Incidentally, because you've got a 50-50 shareholding doesn't mean you have to have a 50-50 profit share split. You could have a 50-50 profit share split, but have a 70%-30% shareholding. So the two aren't inextricably linked, Um, but that would be brought as a a, a matter for consideration in the shareholders agreement. So these, um, you can have a list of reserved matters and Nigel mentioned the could be the investment memorandum, or it could be the the DA equity A, it could be the program. All these elements could be sort of wrapped and stacked in the shareholder agreement, and that gives the developer the operating license to conduct the business. So let's say the budget, the build budget was six hundred thousand. Okay, that's the license. 600,000. Go through the tendering. They do not need, the developer does not need shareholder approval um, for anything over, uh, as as long as they're operating within that budget. We could also put uh, expending contingency in there. So it depends how you critique the shareholders. And we will quite often go through that with our mentees. They might call us and say, okay, Nigel, can I have half an hour of your time? Can we just go through what are these metrics here? I was on a call yesterday afternoon with somebody on on deal, structuring a deal uh, that they're just putting an offer in. So, you know, that's that forensic level of, uh, I suppose, of comfort and confidence that, you know, a mentee can can call us and, and bring us to bear. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I the same, Mark, um, yesterday, um, 
you know, a structuring question came up and we spent the whole session going through it. And it's very, it's interesting to deep dive into the circumstance, you know, the circumstance dictates structure um, and just look at the art of the possible, really. Um, it always has to be overlaid by, you know, legal party intervention and accountants maybe and tax advisors. But, you know, in terms of just creating that, you know, out of the box thinking around what's being developed and probably more importantly, the, the, um, the output as well what the intention is, you know, the the old phrase, start with the end in mind. It's very, very true in structure and very much so. Definitely. Paul, hope you're well. Um, Paul's been led to believe from my accountant that any JV within a group structure and uh, the outside parties could not hold more than 25% of the SPV. Any views on this? Uh, yeah, strong views on that, actually. Uh, from what you told me, and I, obviously I don't know the detail, um, but uh, that would not be correct. Um, it may be in certain cases, but yeah, in many cases in a holding company structure, you can have varying levels of, of shareholders uh, at, at many different levels. And uh, as an example, a 50-50 would be, would be quite, uh, quite commonplace. Okay, where are we for time, Nigel? It is almost, almost time. Um, Dominic's asking questions on the future of the high street. Well, um, a carnage springs to mind. You know, we've got Arcadia Group collapsing. We've got Debenhams. Um, so lots of change. We've got Cafe Nero restructuring. Um, so, you know, that's a, a subject for another day. So we've covered a lot of subjects today. We've talked about electricity. We've talked about um uh, effectiveness of ESG and sustainability. Uh, we've talked about bikes. We've talked about cars. <laughs> we've talked about um, deal structuring, uh, funding, uh, shareholding. So, like, if you want to, if you want to know more, then join our mentorship group or just book a thirty-minute call. That QR code will take you to my diary, my personal diary, and you can book a thirty-minute session there. And uh, if you want to join our mentorship group, let's find out if it's right for you. Have a chat with me. I can answer a couple more of your questions as well. And uh, we're back next Wednesday, as we always are, 8 o'clock for a cup of tea and a bowl of porridge with Nigel and Mark. So uh, to it. <laughs> always good. Always good. So thank you so much to everybody uh, who joined us yet again. And until next Wednesday, have a great week. Take care. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Property Portfolio Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode and that it inspired you on the next leg of your journey. If you've got any questions or comments, why not reach out to us at our Facebook page, Equa Academy. Also, don't forget to register for free access to hundreds of property development videos and templates over at equaacademy.co.uk and we'll see you in next week's episode. Thank you.